Good morning. My name is Kristen Paleo, and I'll be sharing the scripture reading this morning. Um, it is found in the Pew Bible on page 54, also on the screen. I just want to point out that we'll be reading from the end of chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 16, picking up verses 13 through 15, and then beginning of chapter 17. Follow along while I read the word of the Lord. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. 
Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, Kristen, for reading that passage for us. I apologize if that was the most confusing scripture reading we've ever had. Uh, I didn't want to read all 50-some verses that we have to cover, and I wanted to get what was important for us to, to, to take um, from this passage. I wish we had time for, to read all of it, but it's the nature of covering 50 verses and the time that we have. But this morning, we come to a key turning point in our study of the book of Exodus. So if you've been with us up to this point, then you know that the book so far has been about God's mighty work through his servant Moses to free his people Israel from slavery to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But now... As we move on towards the second half of chapter 15 to the end of the book, we are entering the second phase of the Exodus, if you will. See, the first phase was all about freedom from Pharaoh. Now, when we conceive of what freedom means, this is typically the facet of freedom that we think of. We think of being free as being freed from something And I think particularly as Americans, this is the way that we're trained to think. Freedom means freedom from any restraints that would keep me from doing the things I want to do and becoming the person that I want to be. But when we think about it, and when we experience it, freedom defined like that begins to actually look a lot like slavery, You see, just for instance, you can gain freedom from an employer and a job that you really hate, but unless you find another job, you are going to be enslaved by your lack of financial income. Or if you do find another job, the likelihood is that you will find uh, find yourself enslaved to yourself, your own work ethic, your desire for success. Sometimes we're tougher pharaohs on ourselves than a former boss. You see, true freedom is found not just in being freed from something, but freed to serve someone or something better than Pharaoh. And that is what the second half of the book of Exodus is all about. The first half is about freedom from, and the second half is about freedom for. If we have been set free from slavery to sin and death, what does it mean now to find freedom in service to our God? And this morning, we're going to learn the first part of the answer to that question. That serving the Lord means that we must learn to trust him as our master, even when things don't look like we think they should in our lives. In other words... We must trust God to satisfy our thirst even when there is no water to be found. So if you would, pray with me, and then we will dive headfirst into this portion of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, as our good shepherd, like we just 
heard in Psalm 23. We pray that you would lead our thirsty hearts to streams of living water this morning. We pray that you would satisfy us deeply. Oh Lord, give us insight and wisdom to see deeper into our hearts than we normally do. To see there the things in us, the sin in us that would keep us from trusting you and root it out of us this morning that we might trust you more leaving here as we did than we did when we came in. And so Lord, be with us. Give us your guidance and your grace. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage picks up this story directly after the waters of the Red Sea have fallen and the people have rejoiced that they are free from their enemies. Right after they are given freedom, the Lord now begins to lead Israel through the wilderness toward the land that was promised to them way back in Genesis chapter 12. But then, three days, just three days into this trek, and they are on the brink of dying thirst. Three days they go without water. That's about as far as the human body can handle being without water. They're pushed to their brink right after they're freed from these enemies. And that's where we pick up. So let's read verses 24 and 25 again of chapter 15. It says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. And we'll leave off there, and we'll come back to that in a second. But these Two verses here contain two words that should be like the buzzwords in your mind as you think about this passage. They are the key words out of which we derive the central meaning of this text. And just as an aside, as you're reading your Bible, particularly the Old Testament, if you're reading a passage and there are words that are repeated time and time again, pay attention to that. There's a reason for that. The, the authors of the Bible are trying to key you into what's going on. It's like flashing red lights for us. But those two words that are repeated throughout this portion of Scripture this morning are the words grumbling and testing. Grumbling and testing. So let's look at those in turn. So first, grumbling. Now I want you to picture a hypothetical situation with me. Purely hypothetical. Suppose you and your spouse plan a vacation for your family, and you plan to go to Disney World or maybe the beach or a beautiful national park. You prepare everything in advance. You, uh, you, you shell out a lot of money to make it happen. You arrange all of your lodging logistics. You maybe even make a binder if you're an organized weirdo. Uh, you... Um, and then you get all of the logistics organized to free your kids from school. And so the day comes, they're freed from slavery to their pharaohs and taskmasters at school, and you set out towards the promised land of your vacation that you've been planning. And then in this purely hypothetical situation, how long does it take before you hear a kid in the back seat start to complain about the fact that they're hungry? Or another one to hear about what we're going to be doing on vacation, and they say, I don't know why you just didn't leave me at home. My Xbox is more fun than that. <laughs> Purely hypothetical, right? I'm sure none of you have experienced this. 
I definitely haven't on any of my youth trips that I led back in the day. But, but we may want to come to Israel's defense here and say, oh, that's not fair. They're not like children. They actually have real needs that are not being met. They're not getting water for three days. They are on the, 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 the brink of dying of thirst in the desert. And that's understandable. And, and I agree. That's my impulse too. And, and their situation is dire. But remember what happened just three days earlier. God made a sea come apart so that they could walk through it. A sea, which as seas tend to be, are made of water. If, if God is in charge of anything, he's in charge of the water as far as Israel is concerned. And yet it doesn't take them more than three days to forget what God has done and get lost in their circumstances and to grumble. We'll come back to this theme later on in the sermon. Second major theme of this text is testing. Now here, after God had had Moses throw a log in the water and turn the water from bitter to sweet, the Lord explains what he is doing in this account. uh, Where we left off in verse 25 there, it says that he was testing them. Now, what is the point of a test? When you have to take a test for something, what's the point of giving a test or taking a test? Well, I would say testing, testing is like wringing out a sponge. So when, when you wring out a sponge, you squeeze out the liquid that that sponge has been soaked in. So whatever the sponge is soaking in, you take it and you wring it out. That's what a testing is like. That's what a test is like. Testing takes us and squeezes us out and reveals what we've been soaking in. And so if you've been soaking in the knowledge of U.S. history for a U.S. history exam, when you're wrung out, it's going to go well for you. If you have not been soaking in that and you are wrung out, it's not going to go well for you if you've been soaking in video games or other books you wanted to read or whatever else. When you take a test in school or a CPA exam or a driver's exam or whatever else, what you put in will come out. But testing also gives us a chance to grow from that experience. Even if you bomb a test, there is a chance to say, okay, I need to, I need to take this seriously and I can move on from this and grow. See, what God is doing with the Israelites here in, Israel, in, in, the, in the wilderness is he is wringing them out through testing, showing what's inside of them and giving them the opportunity to grow from this experience. And what is the material that the Israelites are tested on? What is their testing intended to reveal? Well, let's keep reading. Uh, So we'll pick up halfway through verse 25 there, near where we stopped. It says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes... I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So when the people are squeezed out by testing in the wilderness, God intends to reveal to them whether they, he he wants to see whether they will keep his 
commands. In other words, what God is testing is whether they trust him enough to actually do what he says. In the wilderness, God is testing his people's trust. And these verses provide a paradigm for how God is going to relate to Israel in the wilderness from this point all the way up until really the beginning of the book of Joshua when they enter into the promised land. The wilderness is the place of testing. And the question is, will the people grow to trust their God and serve him or will they grow hard and grumble against him? That's the question. And church, we are in the same place of testing. The scriptures talk about our lives as Christians as being in the wilderness. We have been freed from slavery to Satan's sin and death through Jesus' victorious death and resurrection on the cross. When we trust in him, we are freed from that. But we also are not yet at the day when Jesus has come back to make all things new, when we are in the promised land, in Canaan, feasting with our Lord. We live in the wilderness time, in the time of testing. And we experience life that way. Some of you here this morning are new Christians. And you are being tested as you begin to realize That serving Jesus means that Jesus actually is Lord over every part of your life. And as you're squeezed, it's painful because he's pressing himself into the parts of your life you want to keep private, like your checkbook or your work or your sexuality. For others, you are tested by a difficult person that God has put in your life that you need to learn to live with and love. And for others, it may be physical suffering that is your test. And these and all types of others, other tests that we experience in the wilderness, help us to grow and trust our God, that he will be as gracious in his provision as he has been in his redemption. And so let's move now to chapter 16, where we start to see the Lord's provision put on full display, but also where we see the heat of testing start to be raised. So let's start in chapter 2 of, or I'm sorry, verse 2 of chapter 16, and we'll read down through verse 5. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, did you see our key words in there? Do you see the pattern beginning to emerge in this this text? The people grumble against Moses, and the Lord sets out to test them. And in doing so, 
the Lord promises to provide graciously by sending bread from heaven for his hungry people. It literally says there in verse 4 that he's about to rain bread from heaven, which is the same word that's used in the plagues when he rained down hail from heaven. This test will be to see how they respond. Do they trust him? Now, to return to that theme of grumbling, you might look at this passage and you might hear that word grumbling and and think, what's so bad about that? Don't don't we all complain sometimes? I mean, it's just part of life. If things, we're not happy with what's going on, we, we tend to complain. Why does God make such a big deal out of that in this passage? I think the reason why is because This passage shows us what's really going on in our hearts whenever we grumble. So if you look in chapter 16, uh, verses 7 and 8, you'll see that Moses says that he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. So all of our grumbling is ultimately grumbling against the Lord. Grumbling is the symptom of a hard heart that doesn't trust God. Think about what happens in this story. God, as this story progresses, God miraculously does what he says he'll do. He makes this bread called manna, which is literally in a Hebrew translation of what is it? They're like, what is this stuff? We don't know. So we'll call it what is it? The bread called what is it falls on the ground every day and the people eat and are satisfied. I heard one pastor this week talk about it as God providing donuts every day for his people in the morning fresh. And he gives them clear instructions. Don't hoard it. You will get what you need for each day. Don't take more than what you can eat each day because he's going to keep providing. And yet... Even though God has provided for them abundantly and promises to do so in the future, they still try to stock up the pantry. And the manna grows moldy and gets worms and spoils. They still don't trust him. But think about the posture of God towards his people in this story. One commentator I read this week on this passage says that the truly shocking part about this story is not the charge that the people make against God, that he brought them out in the wilderness to kill them. The truly shocking part about this story is that God responds to this charge with gracious provision. God continues to move toward his grumbling people, teaching them slowly and patiently what it means to trust him day by day. What kind of a God do we have that he responds to ungrateful, complaining people with sustenance and provision and a revelation of his glory? I'm sure we've all heard stories before of starving children. Um, And and children who, when they're starving, are either brought into a shelter of some kind or are adopted by a family. And at some point, soon after they're brought into a shelter or adopted by a family, these starving children are presented with their first proper meal. Now, if you were in that situation as a child who was starving, your impulse likely would be to eat as much as you possibly could at that dinner and then stuff your pockets full 
for the next day. Because everything in your experience has said, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. But if a well-to-do child from a well-to-do family in America who's known nothing but three meals a day every day for their whole life, one Tuesday night for dinner with his family were to take his pockets and stuff them full and take them to his room, that would be very out of the ordinary because every day of his life he's been provided for. And he has no reason to think that when he wakes up the next morning that breakfast will not be ready for him on the table. Israel is acting like starving children when they have been cared for every day by their loving father. They grumble when they should rejoice and trust. And times of testing often reveal grumbling hard hearts that don't trust God despite the many ways that he has provided. And you see, when the Israelites are squeezed out in the wilderness, when they are tested, what is wrung out of them is like that water in chapter 15. It's mara. It's bitter. And friends, when we have a God who provides and cares for us like this, why do we act like starving children? Why do we scrounge at the table and stuff our pockets? Why do we not trust our God? Not only does he provide us with material things, not only has he provided for us by saving us from slavery to the pharaohs of Satan's sin and death, but he has given himself as our daily provision in the desert of testing. You see, God's testing to you. You might hear the word testing and think, this is a little bit cruel. But God's testing is not cruel because he gives us everything we need to pass with flying colors. And as we heard read in the call to worship this morning from Pastor Benjamin, Jesus is our true manna, given to us day by day to feast on in faith. Jesus doesn't give us everything we want, but he gives us what we need. What we need to keep from grumbling in the wilderness is Jesus himself. For the family who's financially struggling, it can be easy to worry about where tomorrow's bread will come from. And maybe you're struggling with self-doubt about the ability to provide for your family or just sheer exhaustion from working hard every day and it never being enough. And you could choose in that scenario to grumble, asking God why you don't have as much as others. But you don't need to because Jesus is your bread from heaven. He does not promise that you will be rich but each day as, he, as you see his goodness and generosity toward you, you can grow and trust that each day he will be there and that he is more than enough. For the person who has a close family member battling with a serious sickness or disease, or if you are the one battling, it can be easy to grow bitter in the face of such suffering. It can be easy to worry about what tomorrow will bring. It can be easy to be consumed with despair and loneliness as you day by day pour yourself out for your loved one who is wasting away. Jesus 
is your manna. Each day he is with you and he assures you that he will not leave you or forsake you. And if you are the person whose health is failing, as you feast on Christ, even today, you can grow more assured of the reality that you will have eternal life with him, forever life with your Lord. And for the person, might we even say this pastor who's preaching to you today, who lives for the approval of other people. It can feel easy to grumble when you don't feel appreciated or seen by other people. Maybe you feel small and unimportant. But Jesus gives you himself. He he is all the approval that you need. Each day, he gives you the provision of saying, I see you, I love you, and I am with you. Church, whatever test you are in, Jesus gives you himself day by day to meet all of the needs of your testing in this life. Feast on him in faith today. Trust him. And yet, even knowing that Jesus is our bread from heaven, knowing that God has provided in Christ what we need for each day. So often we still don't trust him. So often we grumble. And so what are we to do about this? And I think a more important question to ask is, what is God to do about his grumbling people? Well, let's keep reading into chapter 17 and we find the answer to that question. Chapter 17 begins with a little bit of deja vu. So we read that there's no water. And as readers, we should think, well, no water? No problem. (laughs) We've seen this before. But that's not quite what happens. Let's pick up in chapter 17, verse 2. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again, do you see the pattern? Do you see the words that come up again? This is almost a word-for-word repetition of chapter 16, verse 3. And yet there's one major difference here. And it's that word quarrel in verse 2. Now that word that's translated in most of our Bibles, at least the one we use here at church as quarrel, is an interesting word. That, That word in the original language of Hebrew, more specifically than just generic quarreling, refers to bringing a lawsuit against someone. In other words, the people here have had enough. They want to put Moses on trial. But like we were reminded in chapter 16, Moses reminds the people that their issue is not really with him. What they are doing here, as Moses says, is they are putting God on trial. They are testing God. They are suing God. They want God to take his place on the stand and answer to them, 
God, you have some explaining to do. How could you make our lives this way? How could you cause us to suffer in the wilderness? Are you even with us? And this is the absurdity of grumbling. This is what hearts that are becoming hard look like. Using the very breath God gave them with their bodies strengthened by the provisions that he provided from heaven, they place God on trial. And in our sin and unbelief, we so often do the same thing. And so if a trial is what they want, then a trial is what they'll get. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 and 5. It says, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Now Moses gets exasperated here, and rightly so. The people are so worked up that they are about to stone him. They're ready to kill him. And so he turns to God and says, what in the world am I supposed to do with these people? Now, this is a bit of conjecture, but I think it holds up. I think in the moment, what Moses was expecting God to say is, he says, what should I do with these people? Moses is expecting God to say, bring down the plagues on them. Give them a taste of what the Egyptians tasted. Their hearts are becoming like Pharaoh's. And remember what we read earlier in chapter 15, verse 26, about their testing. That if they trust God, he will not put on them the diseases and plagues that he put on the Egyptians. But the flip side of that is that if they don't trust God, if they continue to fail the test, they will face the plagues that fell on Egypt. They will get a taste of what that was like. And sure enough, in verse 5, Moses grabs his staff. Remember the staff that inflicted judgment and plagues on Egypt. The text even reminds us of that, of how it struck the Nile. He gathers the elders of Israel who would make up a court of law for the people. Judgment is coming. Yet notice the beginning of verse 5. Moses passes before the people. The people aren't going to be a part of this trial. Let's read verse 6. God says, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. What a bizarre scene. What a strange thing. We are witnessing a trial here. And in fact, it is a trial of God himself. God stands in the dock as the defendant. God stands before the people on trial. God places himself there. And as he stands over the rock, he identifies himself with the, with the rock and he speaks to Moses and says, Moses, 
Strike the rock. Now the question of this text is, when God is squeezed out like a sponge, when God is tested, when God is put on trial, what is wrung out of him? Love, grace, satisfaction in the desert for his people. God here takes the judgment that should have befallen his ungrateful, unbelieving, complaining people and unleashes satisfaction for them in the desert. You might even say living water. But the most beautiful part of this story comes a thousand years later when we read a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, we read this. That they drank, the Israelites in the wilderness, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. You see, on the cross, Jesus was squeezed out. Jesus was tested. And ultimately, though he passed his test, he took the rod of divine judgment. Jesus was the rock struck by judgment in the place of his people. And yet when he died, what happened? What happened when the Roman soldier came and pierced his side with a spear? Blood and water flowed from the rock for the healing of his people. He is Jehovah Jireh, as it says in chapter 15. He is the healer of his people. And when we see the rock, the crucified Christ, we can trust God because he has given gracious provision to his people, even at his own expense. When we look to the rock, when we look to the cross where the rock was struck, it melts our hard and grumbling hearts. And so for us today, trying to follow God in this wilderness of testing that we find ourselves in, I just have one encouragement for you today. Drink from the rock. Drink deeply. Come to the waters of Christ and satisfy your grumbling heart. In Psalm 95, it warns us not to harden our hearts like the people did here at Massa and Meribah, as this place is nicknamed. We have the opportunity today to not grumble, to not be hardened, but to be softened and sweetened by the water that flows from the rock. Drink from Christ today, and when you are tested, when you are wrung out, the water that will drip from you will be sweet. Let me close with this great first verse from the hymn, Rock of Ages. It says, Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. There is a fountain open for us in the wilderness. Church, drink from the rock. Would you pray with me?
Father, we are amazed at your gracious provision. That even when we grumble, even when we feel our hearts growing harder, that as your people, you provide for us even at your own expense. So Lord, when we look at the cross, may it melt us. May it help us to trust you. May it give us the strength to continue on day by day in faith. And Lord, today, may we be sweetened by the water that comes from Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.